Okay, so this is the second episode of me essentially just talking about whatever. And, uh, it's been a while. And, uh, a lot of stuff, well, not really that much has happened. It's just kind of been boring political stuff. And the COVID vaccine came out, which is cool. But, uh, other than that, nothing much is going on, which... As I said before, I didn't expect anything to go on under Biden, by Joe Biden's presidency. <laughs> but, uh, personally, for me, nothing much has changed, um, in terms of myself personally, or my situation and anything in life. But, there are a few things I want to talk about, and so the main thing I'm going to be talking about is sort of hypocrisy in politics. Uh, trusting the political system. And kind of education. And the the way of education kind of evolves as you go through life. And just the way society is in general. And so that's essentially all that's going to be talked about today. And sort of personal, sort of possibly religious and or philosophical ideas that I've had. Uh, kind of discovered personally, that's probably going to be basically it. So, stay tuned for that. Okay, so we're going to start with hypocrisy in politics. And when I mean in politics, I don't necessarily mean political leaders or people who kind of talk about politics publicly a lot. I just kind of mean in general, uh, on every level. With politicians such as, you know, Joe Biden, Donald Trump... Kamala Harris, all those people, but also, you know, political leaders like, uh, Steven Crowder, uh, anyone pretty much like that that just kind of discusses politics, any news station, you know, Fox News, or even just individuals like, uh, me and someone else talking, or you and your parents talking, or you and your siblings talking about politics, and the kind of hypocrisy that you see when people just talk in general on every level. And uh, I'll kind of start with this. Uh, my mother is pretty much your kind of blanket conservative. She talks, she has a lot of conservative viewpoints, and I don't necessarily blame her for that. But uh, when we talk, something I find is that with people who hold her viewpoints a lot, there is a lot of kind of flipping back and forth between things that they say. So, for instance, it'll be like a... And it can just be an individual thing with sort of emotional responses and things like that. But for example, what you have is, is it's like... Politicians don't hold their promises. They never do what they say they're going to do. And if they do, they never do it right. But then they'll flip and say that something that, you know, Donald Trump completely messed up or something like that was fine and that we should forgive him for it and just treat it like it's normal. And then they'll say, well, he's not a politician, so it's fine. It's like, well, he technically is a politician. He was president. That's a political office. So we have to treat him as if he is a politician. And in the terms of what constitutes a politician, what they should do, what they, what they need to do, he does not fill that role. He does not fill the role of politician correctly in terms of society or 
what is seen as the norm of a president, he doesn't do it well. Now, does that mean he can't be president? Of course not. Does that mean he's a bad businessman? Not necessarily. Because there's a difference between a president and a leader. You can have someone who leads better than they do hold a political office. But the real debate is what is more important to the American society and the American political system? Is it a leader or a politician? Well, you can argue it matters in what side you're on, what class do you have in the United States. And that I'm not even talking about race, political opinion. It's all about class. What, how much money do you earn? Uh, what tax bracket are you on? Everything like that. Um, and because, mainly because, although, you know, the 1%, all that thing, you know, and I hate saying that, but they are, it is divided between incomes. There's no deba- doubt about that. Class divide is massive in the United States. And so what you have is, is you have the poor, very poor white people voting for people like Donald Trump because he is different. He is not seen as a politician, and these people have learned to, they've kind of been grown to hate politicians, which is kind of ironic. But then you have the poor minority communities who more, more likely vote for Democrat because they've been raised to vote for Democrat. And uh, what you find is they both really care about the same things almost. Both those people. Both groups. But they've been trained to divide themselves. So that's kind of where the hypocrisy comes in. Is that even though they are both very very much in the kind of same predicament. Just different kind of environments. They're both in a very similar predicament. For some reason they divide themselves. Mostly because they've been told they should. Or because they've been told that they share a different opinion than someone, therefore that other person is their enemy. And personally, that is what is drawing the divide. That is what pushing the divide. There is no divide between rich people. If you're rich and you're black, or if you're rich and you're, you're white, or anything like that, it doesn't matter. There's no divide there. But there is a divide among the poor, the poor people. The minority poor and the, the white poor. There is a divide there. And you can't blame it on the rich people, the 1%. You can't blame it on the powerful people in this country because that's ultimately what they want. Because if, if, if the poor people, who are the majority of the country, can't come together, then, then, then the rich will hold the powerful forever. The powerful will always be powerful if the poor can't stand up and get their own power. That's just how it works. It's the hypocrisy in, you know, say a poor 18-year-old black man votes for a Democrat and poor 18-year-old white man votes for Republican and they both just want some sort of economical assistance, not necessarily assistance, but just whether it be more freedoms, less freedoms, whether they believe that their, their, their candidate will do more economically and politically for them. They both ultimately want the same thing. And if they were together, honestly, they'd get it. But when you're divided like they are, the chances of you getting, either of you getting what you want is slim. And even if you do, it's presented as a way that it's going to have to take away from someone else, which is just stupid. But...
It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Nothing good comes from being divided. And we see that throughout history. We see it in the 60s. Most of that conflict was just because we were divided as a country. And now at that time, I will say that it was divided by age. But what you, all, you also see that kind of classist ID, ID, kind of clash at that time. Uh, so, it's just, right now that's how I feel the country is going. Is that that's ultimately what's causing the divide. And so when you go on TikTok, political TikTok or anything like that, and you f- see those, just everyone arguing and taking statistics and using and change, not necessarily changing them, but just using them in a way that makes it seem like they're right and leaving out certain pieces of information to make it seem like, you know, they're 100% right and there's no argument there again for the other side. It's just ridiculous because ultimately the truth, what the truth is, is that the majority of arguments, if there's two sides to an argument, there's truth in both sides. That's all. That's just a fact. There's, it's like a, there's good parts of communism and there's good parts of capitalism. However, there's also bad parts of capitalism and there's also bad parts of communism. There's no, in any problem, no solution is 100%. So the hypocrisy in politics comes when people believe that their side can do nothing bad. That's when it's ridiculous. That's what causes conflict, is when you say, my side's 100% right, we can do nothing bad, your side's 100% wrong, you do everything bad. That's just ridiculous. And that's how I feel, not necessarily everyone, but that's what I think the media and the majority of people believe everyone, that's, I think that's how the media presents how everyone thinks in this country. And so the majority of people believe that's how everyone thinks. And so therefore they feel that they should. And so it's kind of presented like the average American has these wild viewpoints, these, you know, ridiculous off the wall opinions that are just completely divided from other people who believe the exact opposite. When in reality, the majority of Americans just believe that there's good on both sides. That there's good and bad on both sides. And there is arguments that can say that, well, this is better than the other one. But another thing to consider is that in a few months, will that really be better than the other one? Will that really stand true? Will that will, will something happen? Will something change to where, well, in reality, this other thing is better? And it really is the argument between just conservative and progressive because you really do need both. Both are very important in anything. You know, if you're running a business, you want someone who can, if, if everything's going well, you want someone who can th- keep it going well. But if it's, if you have a situation where nothing's going right, you want someone who can present new solutions. So you need both. And then once those new solutions are put in, you need someone who can keep it going. So you really need conservative and progressive viewpoints in everything, no matter what it is. If you have a team and you're trying to solve a problem, you need someone to come up with solutions to solve the problem and someone to actually work out those solutions and put it towards the, the, the problem and actually solve it. Use those solutions as a backing stone to actually become better. It's kind of a stepping stone rather than a backing stone. That was stupid. But and the hypocrisy comes in when you just completely destroy You just say, no, the other side's wrong. We're 100% right all the time. And that's ridiculous. But that's currently how the political system is. Or at least how they want us to see it. How people want, how, you know, the 1% wants us to see it. So, yeah.
Okay, um, last part that I recorded was there's a lot of, like, interference because I move around a lot when I speak, so I'm going to try to cut down, cut that down, try to make a little bit less background noise, I'm just going to try and stay still and speak at the same time, but uh, now we're going to talk about kind of building trust in the political system, and uh, that is very difficult, because... The main reason I'm bringing this up is because of the idea that don't that the that Joe Biden cheated in the presidency. My personal opinion is, well, sure he could have, but he also might not have. I really can't tell. I can look at the evidence. I can look at the, you know, every all the evidence that says he did, or all the evidence that says he didn't. But in the end, you cannot completely know. If anyone says he 100% did it, he 100% cheated. I wouldn't trust that person because there's real no no in terms of the evidence that's released right now, there's no real one hundred. That's anything though, you can never be one hundred percent confident in anything because there could always be more evidence that comes out that says well it's not true. But right now the real problem isn't saying isn't asking did Donald, did Joe Biden cheat to win the presidency? That's not the real question right now. The real question is even if he did or didn't, how do we build trust? In the political system. How do we build trust in our electoral process? Again. And that's very difficult. Because with what just happened and everything like that. It is hard. to It, it will be hard to get back to that point. But another thing you need to consider is that. Especially in the South. There is a general mistrust for the government. In general. Overall. And so. I feel like that did play a part that does play a part in people believing Joe Biden cheated and everything like that because a lot of people wouldn't put it past him. A lot of people say, well, he's a politician, so of course he would. Because they just hate politicians and they hate the government. So, on that end, it's going to be impossible to reinstate hope into the government. Just in general, it's going to be impossible. But uh, in terms of having faith in the electoral process again, that's going to take a long time, and it's going to it's going to take not just the news, but it's also going to take politicians trying to reinforce the political system, trying to reinforce the electoral process, and trying to make it more secure and 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 faithful and truthful, and kind of giving the American people a lot more input into that system. And what I mean by that is, is kind of allowing the American people to understand the system better, to view the system kind of more independently, and have more of a, of a say in how that system works. Which could lead to a stronger electoral process or a weaker electoral process. But if you want to build faith in it, that's what you're going to have to do. And that responsibility is ultimately to the politicians. But that's why it'll never happen. It's that. That's the problem. Is that you leave it, if you if you leave that to the politicians, well, that's never going to be solved. And uh, in terms of trusting politicians, that will never be solved, especially in the South, because a lot of the South doesn't even trust Republicans, Republican politicians. And honestly, in my opinion. I feel that the majority of the South could easily be libertarian more than Republican. If you look at gun control, you look at 
economics, you look at so many different aspects, they do agree with libertarians on a lot of them. The only thing is, is with things like abortion and things like that, they feel that that certain things should be enforced. Sort of a much more authoritarian feel about things like that. But I do feel that a lot of the South could easily be libertarian instead of instead of Republican. Which I also feel about some Democrats. I feel like some Democrats could easily be more libertarian than, than Republican. But I do feel, I feel like Democrats are very much more, uh, they feel much more constricted by their viewpoints. That makes sense. They, they, they seem a lot less willing to move from one side to another. More stubborn, I guess you could say. And a lot of Republicans are stubborn, but I do feel a lot of Republicans are kind of more open about things like that. Conversations about things like that. But the only way to build more faith in the political system, at least personally what I believe, is that you have to give the people more freedoms. You have to prove that the government is capable of actually assisting people. Not in a way of saying, we'll give you money and a house. But more of saying, hey, we'll give you opportunities. We will give you chances to improve your standing in the economy, to improve your standing socially and politically and all these things. We will help you. We will give you opportunities to improve yourself and your family and your friends. Not necessarily like, we'll give you money. Unemployment check. And it's very difficult to... to but that that's the problem, is that it's difficult to get people to want to fulfill those opportunities. To want to take that opportunity and actually try. Because that is an independent thing. It kind of reminds me of exercise. In China, they have a exercise time, I believe, a couple times a day. And that you just leave your work and go out and exercise. But in America, it seems like that's more, much more of an individual responsibility. It's, it's your responsibility to be healthy. It's your responsibility to eat healthy, work out, exercise, everything like that. Take care of your mental health. It's an individual thing. Which is also, also kind of why you could say that health insurance is, is it's not, uh, while we have private health care, it's not, you know, free health care. That's also one of the reasons, because it's your responsibility to be healthy, so therefore it's your responsibility to have health care. And this kind of ties in back with the last section with hypocrisy, but when you look at political beliefs, it's just responsibility. Who is responsible, who is responsible for what? A good example is abortion. Um, you look at abortion, it's like, well, you had many opportunities to not get pregnant. You could use a condom. You could uh, birth control. You could, you know, not have had sex. You could have, uh, you know, had a surgery to keep you from having a child. And so that's four chances to not get pregnant. And then you have abortion. And so the question is, how many chances do you need to not do something? To not have a consequence? Honestly. Because you had four chances to not have that child. Do you really deserve a fifth one at that point? That is the kind of... That's where the argument starts. Because Republicans say, well, you had sex, so you're going to get a child. Especially if you had four chances to not have that child, and you really deserve a fifth one. At that point, it's your responsibility to have that child. You had multiple chances to not have it. You have to take care of it at that point. Not even talking about religion. 
but then you have sort of the Democrat argument, which is, well, what's the fifth chance if you already had four? What uh, if they can't handle a baby? This, this, and that. And uh, then they said, well, that's, that's the thing, is that they should have another chance, and then it should be part of health care, and just paid for with taxes and things like that. I don't believe that it should be necessarily illegal to have an abortion, but I don't believe it should be paid for by taxes. And I understand the, the, the thing of, well, then poor people will just be having a lot of children. It's like, sure. But, like I said earlier, you have a lot of chances not to have that child. I mean, I'm just saying. And then you have the argument, which is a stupid argument, you don't really hear that often for a reason. Which is, uh, that, well, sex is sort of like, it's natural, so you need sex to be happy. It's like, well, no, you don't. You don't need sex. If your life is so, if your happiness is so reliant on the sexual, I mean, you having sexual activity with another human being, then you, that's just, you're weak-minded, in my opinion. Because, at that point, it's just, that's sad. That's just me. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. And so, you look at the majority of things, and that's the only argument, is who's responsible for what? Independent responsibility or collective responsibility. That's why it's important to have both, because when you have both, you have very much an argument of, okay, well, who's to blame for what? And so it's important to have those conversations with people. And so if you want to build more trust in the political system, what I'm saying is you have to talk to each other. You have to talk to politicians, talk to local politicians, talk to large politicians. You have to ha talk to your representatives and everything like that. You have to get close to them and learn from them. Not only that, but they have to help you. They have to give you opportunities. They would have to present solutions and put those solutions into actions and then prove they have, they have to prove to us that they are capable of helping us. And not just helping us, but giving us opportunities to help ourselves. And so that's all that's what it's gonna take. And that will most likely take a while. So Okay, so next I'm gonna talk about education. And obviously education is important. Everyone can agree with that. But I'm gonna specifically talk about how education evolves throughout someone's life. Especially their view of education. And how they, how what they do and what they experience can affect their view of education. And, uh, it's interesting when you look at things like debates or things with different opinions. Like, uh, I remember when I was in elementary school, they did this thing where you would answer a problem, and there'd be two answers, and you would go on either side of the room. And uh, if you were on one side of the room, you would say, well, here's why I chose this answer. Here's how I worked through it. And then if you felt that any time you were wrong, you could switch over to the other side at any time. The argument really didn't really matter. So you had a lot of things like that in elementary school and middle school where you kind of were allowed to have your own opinion. And you were allowed to kind of talk about your own personal opinion and listen to other people about why they have their personal opinion. 
And personally, I think that's good. Because you're kind of teaching kids that other people share a different opinion than you, and that's fine. And through conversation, you can learn about each other and actually come across a real solution. A real important solution that uh, actually makes a difference. But as as you know, what I noticed in high school, as I moved into high school, was that it became less of your opinion and moreover, arguing any opinion. Which you can easily say is, well, it's the same thing. What you're doing is you're learning about an opinion even if you don't agree with it and you're learning how to debate it you're learning about the nuances of that opinion and how to use that opinion to your advantage and argue and you know find evidence even if you don't agree with it when at the same time it's like yeah but it also takes all of the importance and all of the emotion and all of the personality out of argument or like out of kind of debating Because you ever notice when a debate is genuinely interesting, it's because someone cares about their side and they've done so much research and they know exactly how to word it and exactly how to make it seem so appealing that they win the debate, even if they didn't really give much evidence. And of course, when you break it down, you can say, well, they didn't really give any evidence that matters. But that's the debates that are interesting. The debates that are interesting are when it gets personal or when it gets, not necessarily turns into an argument, but you can actually say that they care about this thing. Genuinely, they have a genuine care for this, their opinion. And yes, that could lead to some sort of stubbornness into changing their mind and, you know, a kind of actually working towards the problem. But that they don't have to necessarily feel like that all the time during the entire debate. Like, for instance, one time we were debating in, I think it was my freshman year or something about gun control... And uh, this 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 basketball player goes uh, talking about gun control. The teacher says, "Yeah, but some people don't feel comfortable around guns." And then the 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 the, basket, the, the kid says, "Well, then they stop they stop being pansies." And everyone laughed, and it, everyone smiled, and they thought it was funny. Imagine if we you know everyone debated like that. It's like, well, fair enough. It's how he feels. That's the problem with saying you have to debate the side even if you disagree with it. People are a lot less open to genuinely share how they feel about it. It's not genuine. Which I guess is whatever. It's it's a school debate. Who cares, right? But it's when you do it for years at a time that it just kind of changes how you think. And yes, it does make you consider both sides, but same time it could easily make you hate the other side even more if you're forced to debate an opinion that you don't agree with and you're forced to do research about it you could easily hate it even more but what you see is in that in elementary school and middle school you're kind of allowed to share your opinion and your other people are allowed to share your opinion so you can hear other people and try to understand where they where they're coming from but you also have in high school where you're kind of forced to look at other people's opinions and debate other people's opinions and then you have the university where you're kind of forced to have a very specific opinion. And yes, I am saying that universities and colleges are very liberal. Let's be honest. Even if you're a liberal, you can agree. Um, The majority of colleges are very, very liberal in terms of politics. And they do restrict the voices of, of conservatives. We can, almost everyone can agree with that. 
And it is a problem, genuinely. It is a big problem. So what you have is you have high schoolers who are forced to argue sides they don't agree with, look at all sides, for four years. And so what you have are, by the time they graduate, you have high school students who really don't care about any opinion. They really don't hold any specific opinion. And if they do, it's very, very loosely. Or it's because they personally have looked into it, not necessarily through the education system, but through their personal experiences. And then you throw them into a high school, or not a high school, into a college, which is essentially very restrictive of what they can feel. So you essentially take away their opinion, and then you throw another opinion in. And so then we question why we have so many brainwashed people, both conservative and progressive, and liberal, rather. It's mainly because of the education system. The education system is what's forcing that. And yes, we do. We should keep politics out of education unless you're in a political class. But at the same time, by forcing kids to debate sides that they don't necessarily agree with, you are forcing them to say, hey, opinions are fragile. It doesn't matter who you are. All opinions are fragile. And they hold no value. Just because they're, 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 they're all just backed up by just numbers. And that's kind of correct, in a way. That's kind of right to say that, opi- that, that most opinions are very fragile. And it's just held up by emotional responses and things like that. Because that's not completely wrong. But at the same time, you have to understand that opinions are just what make up people. And so we question why we have so many just depressed high schoolers who just have no passion for anything. They're not curious. They don't want to learn. It's just, that's what it is. You don't fuel them. You just force them into situations they don't really care about being in. So imagine if you had a project in high school where you were just forced to take the most off-the-wall position, even if you didn't care about it. And you needed to make it reasonable. That would be interesting. Right? Like take Nazism. And try to present it in a way that's just reasonable. Right? Take just complete anarchy. No government. Nothing. And try to make it completely reasonable. In a presentation. That would be interesting. You don't necessarily have to believe it. But it would be very interesting. You can make it kind of like jokey. And not necessarily that serious. But when you take two kids, not necessarily two kids, but when you divide a classroom in half by not necessarily what they personally believe in and say, here's here's two opinions about one subject and you have to debate it seriously with real evidence that makes it seem convincing. It just takes all the passion out of it. Now you can put passion into it, but it's, it's false passion. And so if you want kids to care about education, and you want kids to care about what they're learning, let them take their personality and extend it towards others. You see that in a lot of things that involve art. For instance, if you have like a math, or like a, not, a, not a math class, but like an English, cl- English class, and you have a creative writing assignment, a lot of kids flourish in creative writing assignments where they can write whatever they want. 
know a lot of kids don't know how to handle it. They say, I, 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 nothing's coming to mind because they, they're not used to that kind of freedom. So if you want kids to care about what they're learning, add freedom to it. Add that kind of creative side of it. Add that part of, like, math. It'd be hard to do that with math because it's all formulas. But what you can do is you can say, okay, well, we're going to be discussing a new thing. Here's a problem from that new thing. Let's all discuss how we think we can solve it. Because all math is connected in a way. All formulas are connected in a way that someone essentially just thought it out and said, hey, this provides an answer. So if you do that with kids, you actually let them go through the process of understanding how to go from one thing to another, it would help them. And you allow them to use their brain and allow them to like actually think about it instead of just saying, here's the formula, put the numbers in, it's done. Same thing with creative writing. Here's an outline, put the words in, put your ideas in, it's done. Allow kids to express themselves, allow kids to kind of use their brains and their own personality, especially in debating and politics and things like that. Allow them to express their own opinions, allow them to have something that they're personally passionate about and put that into school, put that into the education system instead of just saying, here's the curriculum, here's what you got to teach. But, yeah, that's all that I have to say about that subject, essentially. So, education, and like, once you get out of school, that's the problem, is that once you leave school, you understand that. So it's always too late. You always understand that, too late, once you leave school. And if you ever notice, the good teachers, the one who are like the, the cool teachers that still teach, are the ones who do that. They are the ones who kind of take you, your personality, and allow you to be yourself in that, in that classroom. They allow you to talk about what you care about, and talk about what you feel is important which is essentially what I'm doing right now. That's all I got to say. Teach kids correctly. Okay, so next we're going to... Right now we're coming up to the end of the podcast, so I'm just going to kind of talk about whatever I feel like I want to talk about. And so... I want to kind of start out this section with... uh, The fact that currently right now... The society that at least America is in is extremely just hateful in general. And understand that it's just like, we stop hating, man. But like, come on. You look at the majority of things and it's just, it's just hateful. And uh, it's not, I understand why we're in that situation. Uh, you have like the COVID vaccine, for instance. You have people who are taking it, people who aren't taking it. You have Governments and corporations saying, well, we'll give you this, this, and this if you take it. Like, bribing people to take it. And, uh, personally, I haven't taken it. Um, the majority of my family and friends have taken it. So I'm not worried. I, but I'm not really worried about the COVID virus anyways. I'm not worried about getting it, dying from it, and anything like that. Um, then again, I'm not really worried. But because of that, I'm not worried about getting the, the vaccine. And, uh, realistically, the only reason I would get the vaccine is if I was at, like, the doctor's office and they were like, do you want the vaccine? I'd be like, can you give it to me in, like, 20 minutes or less? And if they're like, yes, I would be like, okay, sure. Or if I was at school and they said, hey, do you have your vaccine? And I was like, no. And they were like, okay, well, can you get it? I'd be like, sure. And I was like, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go get the vaccine now. Unless it's kind of presented to me, I probably won't get it. I'm not worried about it. 
I'm not worried about the virus, the vaccine, any of it. So, but the vaccine coming out has definitely divided people again for some reason. Um, I it's just ridiculous. People judge because someone else has a different opinion, and they feel attacked because someone else has a different opinion, which is stupid. And uh, personally, here's how I feel about the majority of things like that. If you get offended by pretty much anything, then you need to evolve your personality. Because you as a person should never be offended by anything. If you get offended by anything, then you're, you're letting the other person win. If I slow, if I throw a slur at you or something, which I probably will never do, uh, and you get offended, then you've done what I wanted you to do. I wanted to offend you. That's why I insulted you in the first place. I didn't insult you because I wanted I wanted to be offended. I insulted you because I wanted you to be offended. I wanted you to be mad and and, and affected by it. So if someone, you know, insults you and you get offended, then you just lost. You gave them what they wanted. Not only that, but ultimately you're the one getting offended. You're choosing to be offended by that thing. Ultimately. Because you look at even the way that the even the way that language works, at least the English language. If you say I'm offended, yes, you are. Even if you say I'm offended by blank. Yes, you are. You chose to be offended by that thing. It's not that you were naturally offended by it. You chose to be. It's your fault that you're offended. Sure, someone might have said something mean. But yes, but you, you still chose to be offended. You put that emotion on yourself. And so it's ridiculous when people say, that's offensive. Well, sure it is. But the people being offended by that thing are choosing to be offended by that thing. And so nowadays, it feels like everyone is trying to be offended by something. And there's multiple reasons for that. It's because people tell them they should be offended, or uh, they're being told by media corporations that they should be offended, movies that they should be offended, you know, taking characters who are looked up on, and then they get offended by something and they act from it. But ultimately, you're the one choosing to be offended. And, uh... It's interesting because I'm a Buddhist, which a lot of people get confused by because I have a Southern accent. <laughs> and they're like, what? You're a Buddhist? That's crazy. It's like, yeah, not really. But, or they say it's cool or something, which is stupid. But um, my opinion as a Buddhist is that, well, re- realistically, you as an individual, the individual that is getting offended doesn't really exist. And that confuses a lot of people. But uh, what I mean by that is, is when you really question what you are, yourself, as an individual, when you really think, well, what am I? Well, I have a shape. I have a body kind of thing. I have, I have something that people look at. It's like, well, yeah, but is that, well, that's not really you because you have a brain that's part of that body. And you're really not the muscle. The brain controls the muscle, so you're not really that. It's like, well, yeah, fair enough. So I'm not really my body. 
And you say, well, the brain. Let's go back to the brain. It's like, yeah, but the brain is controlled by... It's not really you. Because it's just a bunch of electrical pulses going through that. So it's not really you. The, the only reason the brain knows what's happening is because there's pulses from the outside. So it's not really you. So it's like, okay, well, let's, let's go to the Christian somewhat thing, opinion of it, which is a soul. It's like, well, it's not, you're not really your soul either because you, it's your soul. You can't be something you own. So that's not you. So what are you? Well, an example of that was like when you go back to uh, your bot, when you go back to your brain, right? The only reason your brain knows what's going on is because it has input from the outside world, and even that could be completely wrong. You could be hearing something completely wrong just because your brain can't tell the difference between if something's actually being said or not. Uh, so that's a perfect example. Is that realistically what you are is just the outside world. There's no difference between the inside of you and the outside of you. An example is, what's the difference between you inside of a house and outside of a house? It's just, just a wall. It's weird that, it's something you notice when you, when you actually pay attention to how you think and how you perceive the world, is that when you're in a building, or when you're in your room and you're about to sleep, you don't really think past the room. Unless your window is open or something. You really don't think about what's on the outside, on the other side of that wall. Unless you're purposely thinking about it. Your brain, your consciousness kind of conforms to the edges of the room. And it kind of doesn't think past the room. Unless it hears something from outside, sees something from outside, and suddenly its attention is dragged to outside the room. But when you honestly think about it, what is the difference between you inside of a room and outside of the room? It's really nothing. It's like asking, well, what's the difference between you being in the Earth's atmosphere and outside of the Earth's atmosphere? It's like, well, really nothing. The wall is just, you're basically, it's, it's the same thing as being in a cave almost. Sure, it's temperature regulated and everything like that, but there's no real difference between you being inside and outside. Sure, you can say, well, you're getting no sun. There's no fresh air. It's like, sure. But in the end, it's like, it's just a wall. Just a series of walls surrounding me, but at any point I can still go. I'm still on Earth. I'm still technically outside. So that's and going back to the consciousness thing. It's very interesting. One thing that I saw when I was when I meditated or things like that was that um, a lot of people when they meditate, their consciousness kind of kind of moves in. It's like their consciousness kind of moves into their brain, into their head. Because like I said, you know, when you're, when you're in a room, your brain really doesn't think past the room to the outside. Which is why I like to keep my door, my window open. Because it kind of reminds me that it, there's more than just this room. Because I feel like in when people are depressed, they feel locked into a very specific position. You can almost say that they feel kind of locked into their body. That they're restricted to their body, and it feels like they're and they're they're, in, they're imprisoned within their own body, which is sad to say. And I have been depressed, and I have felt that before. That's why I talk about it a lot because I understand that feeling. And a lot of people, when they hear me say that, think, "Oh, so you became a Buddhist because it helped you? It saved you from that?" It's like, well, no. I worked through it. 
personally. I, I tried and worked hard to fight against my own depression. And what I found was, when I came out of the other side of my depression, I was a Buddhist. I didn't become a Buddhist to work through my depression. I worked through my depression and noticed that I shared almost the exact same values of a Buddhist. That in, the, the big thing that probably helped with that was stopping uh, stop drugs, all that, all that stuff. Started meditating, eating better, working out, and then I became a Buddhist. It was just something that happened. It's the easiest way to explain it. It just happened. And so, when you look at consciousness, I feel like the problem is that people look inwards more than outwards. And what I mean by that is the whole thing of clear your mind. What a lot of people do is they focus on their forehead, or they focus on the way they feel, or the way they breathe. So it kind of, just kind of, your consciousness sinks into your body and just is very small, right? Well, I would argue this. Don't look inward. Look outward, right? Try to expand your consciousness so much to the point that it doesn't even seem like you're inside your own body. Make it seem like you are perceiving the entire universe. Your consciousness is the size of the universe. And then you will understand how free you really are. And I figured that out before I became a Buddhist, before I even researched Buddhism. But it's interesting when you look at things like Buddhism, because one of the big things in Buddhism is love. And they say... Learn to love yourself, then learn to love the people around you, then learn to, learn to love everyone, then learn to love everything, then learn to love the universe. And so to me, that kind of corresponds with what I discovered, was that expand your consciousness to the point that you are the entire universe, not just the little body known as you, right? Love everything. Expand your consciousness so you understand everything. There's this really good video that got kind of spread around called, like, The Egg or something. And it was a Kazakhstan, whatever whatever it's called. That weird sounding YouTube channel name. Uh, and it described reincarnation pretty well. The example of reincarnation. And I agree, somewhat agree with that example of reincarnation. But... When we think about reincarnation, that is kind of what I talk about when I talk about identity. The identity you're given by birth is exactly that. You were given it. It really holds no importance. It's not you. It's what is called the ego. Which, I don't like talking to that to people because people get confused or bored or whatever. But, it's essentially your personality. And it's false. A lot of people talk about, you know, you have three masks. The one you wear around your family, your friends, and when you're alone. Buddhism says that, well, yeah, you have a mask. But all three of those things are one mask. In fact, the thing that you say is behind those three things. The thing that is behind those masks itself is a mask. And that you yourself are insanely powerful not in like a I can fly to the moon 
and, you know, revolve around the, I can, I can shoot, I have laser eyes, not that kind of powerful, but powerful in a way that you can't even comprehend. And I only, I realized that only when I stopped being depressed. And so when I say, when you're offended, you choose to be offended. That's what I mean. What I mean is, is that any emotion that you have, you choose to feel that way. Because when you understand that you as an individual aren't really what you think you are, and that your personality is completely made up, and once you burn all that dead wood off your personality and realize what you are, right, that emotions are just a part of that. They're part of something false. And that's all it is. So that's what I mean by people when people get offended. And uh, if you want to kind of learn the basics of Buddhism, there's a good video called uh, Buddhism is Kind of Out There, Man, or something like that. Um, it's a really good video that kind of, it's comedic, but it, it's a good introduction. It introduces the main ideas in Buddhism and kind of things that people get wrong about Buddhism and describes it very specifically. Now, I'm not talking, I don't do this to turn you into a Buddhist. If I was, I would have put this as the first section. That's what this whole podcast would be about. That's not what I want to do. The reason I talk about Buddhism sometimes is because it's a part of my life. It's something that has interested me. It's something that I like to talk about. It's something that I find very interesting. Just like any other religion. I find religions very interesting. Um, I find history interesting. And so when I talk about Buddhism, I don't talk to spread the gospel, I guess you could say. I talk because I like to talk about it. It's interesting. And so when we talk about society and social structures and things like that, Buddhism plays a big role in that. Because that's a big thing in Buddhism is discussing social ideas and things like that. And we have to talk about how fragile certain social ideas are. Like, for instance, the whole concept of morality is subjective. That's true. Um, Because, like I said, you're born into a society and then those ideals are just kind of imprinted on you. And so, when I talk about kind of... The way that Buddhism plays into, into society is that it makes you understand that everything's subjective. Every single thing. No matter what it is. It's like when you talk about politics, which I've talked about a lot in, in this podcast and the other one. Um, you find that what's happening right now is that people who are even moderate, like center, somewhat center, maybe somewhat center-right, are being seen as completely right-wing and crazy. When in reality, they're really very moderate. That's mainly because the public opinion has shifted very much left. A lot of people believe in leftist, leftist mentality. So because of that, imagine that you had like a scale, right? And it's like a, a it's a thing that goes from blue slowly fades to right, slowly fades to white, and slowly fades to red as it goes from left to right. And it's just a little line. Uh, well, what's happening is, is that they've taken that left. Or the, 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 the right where the red is. And they've shortened that line somewhat towards the middle. This is public opinion. 
But what you find is, is that that white, the little blur white in the middle, moves to the middle again. Now, the opinions don't change, right? The opinions are exactly the same. People are moderate, but there's a lot of people that are all the way to the left, right? Well, that's what's happening, is that even though there's a lot less people who have extremely right-wing opinions, there's a lot of moderates, right? They're being seen as right-wing, even though they're not. It's because it's subjective. It really just matters. It's subjective. So morality is subjective. If you live in a society where it's fine to murder people, right, then it's going to be fine to murder people. But if you live in a society where murder is condemned, uh, if you're murdered, you get killed immediately on the spot, things like that, what you could easily argue says, well, murder is normal. Well, sure. But you see what I'm saying. Everything is subjective. Um, and Buddhism very much supports that idea. That's why I bring it up in this conversation. So when we discuss society, you have to look very long term. Uh... And when you have the opinion of a Buddhist where you measure things in a literal, unmeasurable amount of time, when you measure time in, you know, so long that imagine if you took the mountains and grinded them down until they were as flat as Kansas with a silk, with silk. That's literally a measurement of time in Buddhism. Is taking a piece of silk and grinding it down with, uh, or grind, taking a mountain and grinding it down to a flat plane in the, with a piece of silk is literally a measurement of time. Um, or at least that's how they describe that measurement of time. When you look at things that long term and that large and that vast, social norms seem ridiculous. Like you have to go to college for four years? What? That's ridiculous. You don't have to do that. And you begin to understand, it's like, well, you don't have to go to college, you don't have to go to high school, you don't have to have a job, you don't have to work, you don't have to eat, you don't even have to live. Who told you that you have to be alive? Genuinely. Who told you that you have to live anywhere, at any time? So, that's what I've found, at least, when you think about things like that. So when we question society, and how can we make progress? Well, progress is subjective too. If morality is subjective, then progress is subjective. What you find evil, I may not find evil. And that's how it works. Um, for instance, racism. <laughs> racism. Someone may hate black people. I may find that it's evil as, as evil as Satan, right? But they probably don't. Because their morality is different. And it's like the whole punch of Nazi. How is punching a Nazi going to help anything? You have to talk to him. You have to, you have first, in, okay, you have to talk to him. In order, in order to talk to him, you have to understand them. You have to literally see them as a person. Like, 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 you, like you, I see you, right? You have to see them as a normal person because that's what they are. They're just a normal person with a different mindset. They just have a different opinion. That's all it is. I am rambling, but that's the point, is that this is what I care about. This is what I find interesting. And ultimately, a lot of people probably don't find this interesting. I think I had like 13 people listen to the last episode. I don't know, I didn't check. But last time I checked it was. And 
if you're watching, thank you. Genuinely, I, I appreciate it. If you made it this far, thank you. Because it means a lot that people even try to listen to what I'm talking about. Because I found this interesting. And, uh... If you are interested, um... If you do find this interesting, I would recommend that you share it with people. Share it with people that, you know, are interested in the things that I talk about. Or if anyone you think would be interested in what I talk about. And if it does get bigger and get an audience, then I probably will increase the quality a little bit. I will probably put it on multiple platforms. I will probably try to share it because I would feel like I have somewhat of a responsibility. So if you even got this far... I would recommend sharing. If you don't want to, that's fine. I understand. Most people probably didn't make it this far. But if you did, thank you. I genuinely appreciate it. And, uh... I probably shouldn't have mixed this in with this section, but it's fine. It's it, Most people won't see this anyways. Uh, thank you, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you listening to me ramble for 40-something minutes. Uh, if you enjoyed, stay tuned. I will most likely make more, because... Why not? You know what I mean? It's fun. It's fun to just sit down and talk for a while. So, thank you, and see you next time.